Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased that you've been able to tune in for tonight's program. I think the overwhelming record of history is that Christianity has been good for society and individuals. And I want to break it down into three areas. Physically, intellectually and spiritually. There are some in society at present who are claiming that the church is bad. They delight in citing abuse by church leaders, deceptive tele-evangelists and the like. If the church was so important to Christ, how can it have gone so wrong and appear to be so bad for society now? Well, things are not as they are reported to be. In fact, the church is not only historically, but indeed in the contemporary setting, playing a vital role that's worth exploring. Let's find out as we join Dr. Corbett to answer the question, what's the good of Christianity? I want to address an issue that Christians are being subjected to at the moment, which has caught me completely off guard, really. And that is that there's a number of people who actually are now saying that Christianity is evil. Christianity is bad. And Christianity is repressive of human flourishing. And I know that sounds pretty complicated for kids that are here. And all I want the kids to hear is that when mum and dad tell you that this is good for you and the good is coming to church and let's read the Bible together and let's pray together, it really is. It really is. But I want to give the rest of us and perhaps the mums and dads here some reasons why we can say, and I want to put them into three categories, as to why I think Christianity is good and give you those reasons. So Richard Dawkins, who is not so prominent anymore, but he's a, an Oxford uh, scientist at the University of Oxford, and he describes the God of Christianity as a megalomaniac, and he describes the Bible as one of the most violent books uh, ever printed. And, and then there are others like Sam Harris, who's a, a professor in America as well, who's on national television quite often and fills packed venues denouncing Christianity as well. There's a former uh, professor of theology by the name of Bart Ehrman who basically says Jesus didn't have a clue and that he was uh, often lying to people. And so Christianity is actually copying quite a lot of negative criticism at the moment. And rather than avoid it, I just want to put the elephant right in the middle of the room and let's have a look at it, shall we? And let's see whether it's got any substance to it. And I think we need to do it. One of the things I want to, want to see is that the church, the body, the organised body of Christianity, is actually really important to Christ. I mean, it's really, really important. Here, Jesus has just asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And we've seen that one of the first responses is, well, many people think you're Jeremiah. And I think for good reason they would think that, and hopefully after eight years you've figured out why I think that. And Peter comes out with this statement uh, that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I'm not quite sure if Jesus would have done what I would have done if I was Jesus, which would have been spat my coffee out and taken a step back and said, Peter, you just said something smart. Because he says this to him, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we could talk about what the rock is. I think the rock is actually what Peter just said, not who he is. That is, he got who Jesus was. And I think it's possible to come to church from being a little tacker all the way through to old age and never quite get who Jesus is. 
But in that moment, Peter got who Jesus was. And up until then, he was called Simon, which means blows in the wind. It just means a reed blown in the wind. That's what it means, a reed blown in the wind. And then Jesus says, you're no longer a reed blown in the wind, Simon. You're now Peter, which is the word Petros or Petra, a rock. And so that rock that Jesus said is what brings you into a relationship with me when you get who I am. And I don't really want to focus on that. I want to focus on the bit in there where Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. This is how you get into it. You get into it when you recognize who I really am. And when you get into it, this is what I'm going to build. I'm going to build a people who get it. And the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. So it might feel like the gates of hell are coming against the church right now. It may feel that way. And here's the promise of Jesus. They will not prevail. They will not prevail. And so Jesus actually says of the church that we are to be, in this section in the Beatitudes, that Jesus says we, his followers, are to be salt and in this instance, just a couple of verses later, light. Salt that preserves, it seasons, it adds flavour, it gets into everything. And light, it sheds light on things and the church is to be like that. And that's a, a pretty big place in the heart of Christ. And so in many respects you would think if people, and most people do, admire Jesus. In fact, every religion has something to say about Jesus. I mean, literally... Every major world religion has something positive to say about Jesus. They just don't believe what he says, which I always find quite curious. But with the church playing such an important part and place in the heart of Christ, why is it now so many people are calling the church evil and bad? And maybe they're doing so because of what's been going on lately. And what's been going on lately has been scandal after scandal. Just recently in uh, Michigan, there was more clergy abuse uncovered. Uh, Overnight, I think the Pope said, okay, I'm sick of this. (laughs) And he said, if there's any priest out there that hasn't handed themselves into police, which I thought that's about 2,000 years late, but well done, then go right now and hand yourself in because I'm not putting up with this anymore and good on him, fair enough. And then of course, not just, it's not just Michigan, it's not just Philadelphia and Pennsylvania where these things have been happening, it's also Australia. And if you've seen the movie Spotlight, which you want to have a strong stomach to handle, it's the true story of the Boston Globe's investigation into clergy abuse of children. And at the end of it, there's all these, you know, when they found this, it actually led to finding abuses here, here, here and here. And one of the here, here, here's and here was Launceston, Tasmania. And just think, oh man. So this is rampant. Maybe this is why people now think it's, it's evil, but it's not just abuse of vulnerable people, let's put it that way. It's also financial abuse. And some of the financial abuse in this particular church in Chicago, uh, Harvest, it's a church of many thousands of people. They have... Um, a music ministry called Vertical Music and, and their, their stuff is really, really good. But there's millions of dollars of scandal there now. And just, and people, no one, you know, Kim's up here talking about our experience in giving literally where God spoke to us from when we got here in 1995 and he said, don't worry about 
a house. This is God's word to us. When we came here, we, we rented. We, first night, we stayed in that, literally that house right next door there. And we'd just come from Melbourne, a city of, at the time, just under 3 million people. And we could reach out our kitchen window almost literally and shake the hand of our next door neighbour. We were just, it was close. And we came here and there was like houses were really, really spaced apart. And we looked out our bedroom window that first morning. There was a kangaroo looking in. Hello, we're in Tasmania. This is really different. And God just said, don't worry about a house. And this is his word to us. You build my house and I'll build yours. And we actually looked for a house to rent. And part of Kim's story this morning, you may have heard that we went to a place in response to an ad and it was kind of perfect for our needs. And then they said, oh, yeah, but we've basically doubled the rent. And we thought, oh, that's not fair. And that's when Kim walked away. And I've never really seen Kim in a half before her first coffee and um, <coughs> March, no, I've never really seen Kim. Kim's a pretty calm, collected woman. She is. And that day, she walked away from the, the, that and said, that's it, I'm going to buy that house. That's the story there. I'm going to buy that house. Well, it took, what, 15 years before, <laughs> 15 years before we actually said, we, okay, I think we need to, uh, God's obviously not with the program here. We need to buy a house. He said, he, you know, you worry about, you build my house, I'll build yours. And he must have forgot or something. We were actually looking at a house for sale in that same street, which we'd kind of forgotten about it because after 15 years, if, if, and as we walked out of this completely unsuitable house, four kids, two bedrooms, you go do the maths, ain't going to work. So we walked out, of and as we walked out, another real estate agent was putting a for sale sign on the house that Kim said, I'm going to buy that house. And so we bought that house that day. And it was, it's a long story. If you've ever been to our house, it doesn't bear any resemblance to the house we bought, and that's a, a miracle. Anyway, I digress. All that was because we were faithful. But there are some churches where they don't treat church finances faithfully I don't know how you feel about this one this particular church raised 70 million dollars for their pastor to buy a second private jet anyone sensing a word from the Lord maybe uh... and you, you got to look at that and think what the heck? who needs two private jets who ne- I mean one fair enough Especially yesterday, we were coming back from Melbourne and because of the inclement weather in Brisbane and Sydney, uh, all the flights were delayed by about five hours yesterday and we were checking in and there were people huffing and puffing and carrying on and all the rest of it and, and we thought, oh well, we just bided our time and, and that would have been handy to have a private jet then, but not for $70 million dollars. That's ridiculous. So you can understand why some people think, you know, Christians are just in it for the money. They're just in it to take advantage of people and so on. But I really do want to show you that two things. One is that is they are extreme cases and they're bad. They're really bad. I I denounce those sorts of things. But here's where it gets worse for me is it's not just the critics of Christianity who are making these claims now. There's actually church leaders who are saying, the words are going to struggle to even come out of my mouth. But there are church leaders that are saying the Bible is bad for people. They're saying that the God described in the Bible is a repressive, mean God. 
and he's going to hinder human flourishing and repress people. And I, I find this staggering when so-called, that's why I've got it kind of in scare quotes, so-called church leaders are saying this. And you get to the point where you think, do they, you know, like on this rock I'll build my church, when you know who Jesus really is, do they, do they have that rock in their life? Do they know who Jesus really is? I, I can't be their judge, I'm, that's not my deal, but looking at what they say, I have to wonder, especially I have to wonder with this minister, the United Church of Canada in Toronto who nearly lost her job. This is the Reverend Greta Vosper, a self-proclaimed atheist. They went to their church conference where there was charges of heresy against her which were dropped and the conference decided that this openly atheist pastor could keep her job in West Hill United Church in Toronto where her sermons include with or without God and she's made it clear that she does not see the Bible as authoritative and she views God not as a personal being but as a metaphor for love, compassion and beauty. And so during their prayer time she replaces that with a community sharing time and instead of singing the old hymns they've been rewritten to accommodate secular sensibilities the head of Reverend Vesper's denomination says he's happy with the decision to keep her, preferring to emphasise inclusiveness as one of the most basic beliefs of the Christian faith. If you think that's bad, <laughs> I think this is bad. This next pastor is writing a book on why the Bible is bad for young people because it suppresses them sexually and this can be really really bad and she doesn't identify as a pastor she identifies as and I had to have Ruby explain this word to me yesterday uh, a pastrix was it was it you who were telling me the the ex oh was it who's that was that Zoe it was Zoe my law student daughter was saying oh yeah dad what happens is when they don't want to be identified in their job title as either male or female they take that end bit off and they put x on who was it was it Tyrone? Oh, Tyrone, my internet surfing son <laughs> told me that. <laughs> so apparently you can be um, a pastrix and that way we don't know if you're, well actually I don't know how you know it's a woman or a man anyway from pastor this or pastor that, but anyway. So she identifies as, as a pastrix. She's a Lutheran pastor and she, and this was in a recent interview where she actually defended ethically sourced porn. Her mission is to remove shame from people in the industry, especially consumers. Um, her name is Reverend Nadia Boltz-Weber, a self-named pastrix. Sounds like, anyway, anyway. In the Liberal Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and she's downplayed the immorality of pornography. In a recent hard-to-follow interview, says this journalist, with a New Jersey LGBT publication, she seemed to be arguing that viewing pornography is mostly fine as long as it's ethically sourced. Which I'm not sure how on earth in any category or universe you can take, Jesus says, do not look on a woman lustfully and make that at all ethical. 
According to Boltz Weber, there are issues of justice and exploitation within the porn industry that make it immoral, but she denies that the consumption of pornography itself is a shame. She goes on to say that Christianity's teaching on sexuality has caused harm to many young people because it represses them sexually. You can see how people are looking at this and go, well, if that's what you Christians believe, which, by the way, if you're not a Christian hearing this, we do not believe any of this. Porn is slavery. It's abuse of women. It's abuse of people. It takes advantage of people. It's wrong. And if you're doing it, stop it. There. My daughter Zoe did say to me, Dad, is this going to be a happy sermon or is this going to be your usual type of sermon? Hopefully, you'll see some joy in this. But I think as Christians, I've just given you a sample of some of the examples coming from outside the church and some of the samples coming from within the church. And it's it, no wonder people are thinking, you Christians are nuts. No wonder. But here's what scripture does say. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This is one of the last things that Peter wrote before he was martyred. And he said, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with, notice these words, gentleness and respect. And so I really do hope that I can be gentle this morning and respectful this morning. I don't want to belittle anyone. I don't want to belittle our opponents. I don't want to, as much as... And I've tried not to belittle even these two ladies who are ordained as pastors. I've not tried to belittle them. I don't want to belittle them. I want to follow what it says here, to be gentle and respectful. So here's the question then. I think it's worth asking. So what's good about Christianity? What's the good of Christianity? Is, is there anything good about it? If, if we've got royal commissions into it, if we've got media reports that talk about financial abuse and, and vulnerable abuse, what's good about it in what basis can we as Christians at all claim Christianity is good for you and in fact we're not only claiming it's good for you we're claiming it's good for society we're claiming it's good for the world and so I actually want to make the point that Christianity really is good for the world and it's good for you and this is how I want to do it there are before I start some people who misrepresent Christianity just as there are people who misrepresent any religion but in particular Christianity, there are some people who misrepresent Christianity by the way they live, by the abuse that they inflict on people. And they bring, they tend to tar us all, tar and feather us all with, with the same brush. And it's tragic. And can I just tell you, as a church, we are doing everything we can to implement all of the recommendations of the Royal Commission, which includes... And, and I know this is hard for some people to get their head around, but when my head has been in this space, when there's been pastors in Pentecostal churches, mainline churches, all this, who've been just as guilty as some of the, the examples I've shown you. And then we have an insurer who is absolutely nervous about insuring and a church getting uh, sued because they've abused or hurt or done something to someone. And they tell us, we will not insure you unless you can vouch for everyone who volunteers in your organization and so now we require and much to the to the angst of many people in this church but we require that everyone who serves in this church who has any interaction with vulnerable people gives us a working with vulnerable people check now our insurer says if you don't 
and something happens, even if it's not that volunteer, we will not cover you. We will not cover you. If you get sued for $2 million, we will not cover you. You're on your own. So when someone says, I'd like to help in this church, we say, sure, fine. Just fill this form out. Oh, forms, I don't need the forms. Please be into forms. Please. Because we want to look people in the eye and say, we have done everything we can to ensure that everyone who serves in this church has been checked and has a working with vulnerable people check. It's not us saying it. It's our insurer saying it. And we need, I think, to at least do it because it says to people we care about making sure the vulnerable are looked after. Is that okay? So when there are people who wear a you know, clerical collar or have a title in church who do the wrong thing, it doesn't say anything about Christianity. What it does say is that what the Bible says about the human condition is true. And what does the Bible say about the human condition? It says this in Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, that we are all susceptible to do terrible things. You don't need a demon to do something terrible. You just need to be human. And the the truth is that if we turn our eyes off Jesus, if we walk away from Jesus as Christians, we are incredibly susceptible to do terrible things. So, having said that, let me make my case. I think the overwhelming record of history is that Christianity has been good for society and individuals. And I want to break it down into three areas. Physically, intellectually, and spiritually. So here we go physically. The early Christians followed what Jesus said about caring for people. They followed his example of care. I referred to this example before. And let me just say this again. I I find this an incredibly moving piece. It's only two verses. It's in Matthew chapter 8. Verse 2 and 3 where it says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And here's Jesus' response. And I, I pointed this out. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. People didn't touch lepers. They didn't touch lepers. Saying, I will be clean. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Wow. And the early Christians followed that example of contact with lepers. And I'll I'll give you an example at the moment. This is what Jesus said about how we, his followers, this is speaking to his original followers, were to relate to the downtrodden, the vulnerable of society, the hurting, the injured, the ostracized, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you received without paying, give without pay. So you see there's the pure motive, you're not in for for the money or the fame, and I'm going to make that point in a moment as well, that most of Christ's followers who really want to serve Christ, this is the absolute unanimous record of history, is this, wherever there is the most rampant evil, throughout history and there have been Christians who have heard about it they've run into it not away from it I'll give you thousands literally thousands of examples where Christians have 
taken the principles of what Jesus said, where there are sick, where there are people dying, where there are people getting infectious diseases, where there are people who are oppressed mentally, where there are people who are in need. Christians have gone into it, not away from it because it's too scary and messy. They run into the fray, not away from it. One of the requirements for the early church to look after people, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, when it says there are some women who are now widows and they've got no family. And this is the condition that we want you to be able to look after them. And their condition was a minimum condition of care. A minimum condition of care. In other words, if these women have demonstrated that they really follow Christ, and this is how you'll tell, because it says they have a reputation of good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, that is fellow believers, that's how that word saint was used then, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, and it goes on and says, then look after her. If she has no family, look after her as a church. But you see the minimum standard for Christians in the first century? See how their Christianity was Christianity with its sleeves rolled up, caring for people, caring for the kind of people that Roman society said weren't worth a life. I mean, literally, the elderly, the sickly, the vulnerable, women, children. And here is the opposite from the early Christians. So the early Christians began caring almost from day dot, caring for lepers, gathering lepers and caring for lepers, washing their wounds, tending to their ulcers, providing meals for them, going in and, and setting up what became known as leper colonies. Let me give you a, a modern example of this. This guy's kind of one of my heroes. He was a young man in his early 20s who felt a call to be a servant of God. He wanted to be a missionary and he presented himself he was a Belgian man, his name was uh, Joseph de Wooster, and he presented himself to go and serve wherever he could be of use. And they said, we want you to go to the Hawaiian island of Molokai. This is a photo taken of him, and I don't expect you to be able to see the text, but if, if you can, well done. Uh, this is, his name was changed, he went there, uh, his name was changed to Father Damien. And this photo was taken two days before he himself died of leprosy that he contracted from tending to the only occupants on that island. Molokai was a leper island. The government of Hawaii had said, if you have leprosy, that's where you go. And so this is an amazing story of a man and, and uh, uh, was it uh, the Australian actor... Um, played Father Damien and just did an amazing job. And, and in the, the story, each morning he would come and he would preach to the lepers and, and he would say, my fellow Christians, let me tell you more about God. And then one morning he said, my brothers and my sisters, let me tell you about this gospel of ours. And people wondered, why did he change? And he said, you may have wondered why I called you my brothers and my sisters, and that is because last night I realised that I too now have the disease. And he eventually was overtaken by the disease and died in 1889, a relatively 
In fact, I would say at 49 years of age, he was a relatively young man. And of course, one of my heroes, um, who I spoke about at our carol service, and I just think is, is an incredible man, is Dr. Dennis Mukwege. And he's, he is a surgeon who is the son of a Pentecostal minister, and he would go with his father uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo to, out to the villages, to the people's homes who were sick and, and pray for people. And young Dennis thought, we should do more than just pray for them. Nothing wrong with praying for them, Dad, but we should do more than pray for them. Someone should become a doctor. <laughs> and so he had it in his heart, I will become a doctor, and he became a doctor. And then when he became a doctor, he realised that the, the greatest need was women and children. So he be, first became a paediatrician. He helped children. And then he realised the greater need was their mothers. And then he became, took six years out, trained as a gynaecologist and returned to his, the hospital in his part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he's practising as a, as a gynaecologist when in 1996 there was an attack that came out against that hospital by rebels and they burnt the hospital down and in burning the hospital down they killed all the patients they killed nearly all of the medical staff and Dennis Mukwege escaped with his barely with his life that's all we have time for tonight but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD audio or premium download by going to the website findingtruthmatters.org and selecting What's the Good of Christianity from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the church was at the heart of so many parts of our social fabric and parts that we take for granted. As it turns out, those who claim the church to be bad for society find the Bible to be contradictory to their lifestyle. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. <laughs>